This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Daniel Incandela always knew he wanted to be a storyteller. He just didn't know that he'd be telling stories for companies. The original plan was to be a visual storyteller, telling tales through the lens of anthropology. But after stints in a museum and a foray into sports and entertainment, Daniel's path ultimately led him to Conga, where he serves as the company's CMO. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Daniel discusses the art of great storytelling. Plus, he dives into why you can never underestimate the number of resources you put into a rebrand and why you will never have the approval of everyone in the room. Enjoy this discussion. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Daniel, what's going on? I'm just trying to survive the world as we know it. Uh, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we were talking before this about how it's exciting to be uh, talking about some some marketing challenges and stories, and uh, and it's I feel fortunate to to have a job and to be doing some cool stuff. So I uh, and I'm really excited to to talk about your background. We have uh, a bunch of folks that we kind of collectively know, and we're going to be telling some stories of early exact target days and some fun stuff there. But uh, but first, I want to get into well, and of course all the goings on at Conga. So um, before all of that, I want to get into your marketing background. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Um, that is a question I sometimes struggle with because I, I think I may be the, the only CMO with an undergrad degree in anthropology. But as I look back, it, it actually makes sense and I would not have changed a thing. I wanted to be a storyteller. Uh, I wanted to become a visual anthropologist actually and make films. And then I realized I also wanted to make some money. So my first career was actually in the museum field, producing stories digitally for museums, which was the closest thing I could find to anthropology. And that happened at a really unique time because it was when digital was really taking off and the experiences people were having digitally just changed, whether it was through websites or online video or in gallery technology. And I really fell in love with the, the marriage of storytelling and also digital strategy at just perfect timing. Uh, and that led to the career I've had today. I, I've, I've gone from museums to sports and entertainment, and I've spent the last eight years in B2B software. And the, the one thing that has stayed true for me, and I think has served me well is, as a marketer now, is that marketing is, is, when you boil it down, is simply great storytelling. And so that's, that's how I approach my my marketing. Um, it helps that I also grew up in the digital age and understand digital strategy. And between storytelling and digital, that is at the center of, of all marketing strategies. The idea of like crafting those stories, especially when you're working with history, right? Um, you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of gravitas to get those right. So flash forward to today, what does it mean to be CMO Conga? Uh, it means a lot of things. I think the one you know, as a CMO, I fundamentally believe that marketing should do three main things for a company. The first is drive meaningful pipeline for sales. The second is 
to help build a competitive brand. And then the third is to help shape the culture of the company. I strongly believe that a, a strong, healthy culture within a company increases all metrics. So I approach marketing from those three perspectives. Uh, but I also think marketing has changed, whether it's shifting the, the budgets from IT and the marketing to have more control over a tech stack to the way in which we drive strategy and work across teams to build collaborative projects. And so really CMO is also about helping drive strategy and being a, a leader across all areas of the company, not just within marketing. And that's what I've tried to bring uh, in my 18 months at Conga. And so for those of our listeners who, who don't know, can you share a little bit more about Conga? And I know that obviously there's a there was a not too uh, not too distant announcement that was pretty huge as well. So, uh, can you share more about Conga? Yeah, it's um, we are actually exactly one week ago today. We announced that uh, Aptus and and Conga were joining together to create the all new Conga, and the companies came together to essentially become the leader in digital transformation for all aspects of commercial operations. And what I mean by that is that. We are here to help all companies across all areas, B2B, B2C, nonprofit, you name it, um, digitally transform the foundational elements of business. And if you think about what happens behind the scenes in every company, companies are dealing with documents, quotes, contracts, and all of these processes, processes that surround that to drive commercial excellence within their company. And our own research has shown that we, we have found that companies are still using traditional filing cabinets. They're still using fax machines. Some are still using typewriters. So as hot of a topic, we know that companies out there still need help. And that's what we're here to do. We're, we're here to help others drive their own version of commercial excellence. Yeah, it is such a uh, it's such a loaded term to talk about digital transformation. We talk about it all the time. Um, and it's something that is ongoing, right? Like there, it's, it's never ending. And there is, I, I would be really curious how much, and maybe you have some of this research handy, but, um, how far along, you know, collectively we are on this, on this digital journey, because it seems like, uh, depends on where you look, it can, it can feel like it's pretty far behind. And as a marketer, you're trying to speak so many different, uh, you know, like interjecting it at 25 different miles of a marathon, right? And uh, and each one, someone is in that particular moment in time, that particular pain point um, where they just want to get to the next mile marker. Every company is doing it in some form. But what we have noticed is that level of maturity across companies differs vastly. And there are some companies that are leading in that area and clearly have figured out how to innovate and move quickly. And then there are some companies that are just getting started. And when you're getting started, it is a daunting task to think about how you transform a company under a lot of pressure, especially during a pandemic or the, the thoughts of a potential recession around the corner. There's a lot of pressure on companies right now to figure out how to be more efficient, how to operate faster and generate a, a greater speed to value. So no matter what, today is a huge wake up call, I think, to, to companies across, across the world that they have to take this more seriously 
And in order to do that, it's, it's a bigger investment, not just in dollars, but resources and full company support. I want to get into some of the marketing strategy. Um, you know, I'm sure you are marketing to multiple folks within this kind of like buying group uh, around technology. Um, and one of the things that you focus on is this you know, idea of the five-star experience. Um, can you talk about you know, marketing an experience, marketing a five-star experience specifically? I, I will do my best. Um, the five-star experience comes from the, the original Conga core values. It's how the, the company was built. Um, with a really unique focus on just a great customer experience, but making sure customers could be successful. And if I think about B2B marketing today, especially um, when physical events are not available right now and most likely won't be for for months, and even when we get past this, the, the thought of an event will be reinvented. We are competing with one another to come up with the best marketing strategies. And it's clearly not doing a webinar, which is what every, every other marketing team is doing right now. So for me, it always starts with the story. It has to go back to the story. If you don't know what story you're telling, you're in big trouble. So if you have something meaningful to communicate, something that's going to provide value to a customer or a future customer, it has to start there. And so we've been doing that. We've also been monitoring our own marketing channels to see how they're performing in quarter, how we can optimize those, how we can make it a better experience. And that's what every marketer should be doing. But the thing I'm more focused on now is that things will never be the same where you could use a pretty standard B2B marketing playbook and see some success. The future is unknown. And what I tell my team constantly is that the future interview questions they will get when they are becoming marketing leaders or CMO is, how did you pivot during a pandemic? What marketing strategy did you lead with in order to be successful or to drive strategy across the company? And so I'm starting to think about what are the future of events? What does that look like? How does it become more of a blend of potentially some physical experiences, but also integrating webinars and also virtual events into something that I think will reinvent itself as a B2B experience. And if we're not approaching that first with what is the story we're telling, innovation and creativity, we don't stand a chance. And that's how it ties back to five-star value is that when we put together a campaign and add a a big investment in event experience, it's all about that customer experience. How do we give them the white glove experience? How do we think about them? How do we think about their needs? How do we make sure we provide them with valuable content to allow them to go back to their jobs and be heroes? And so it comes down to two things always. One, the story, and two, really thinking about the customer. So how do you craft a story? And um, like... And I guess even taking a step back from how do you craft it is like, how do you craft a story that fits within, you know, that kind of experience framework um, for your customers? Are you crafting it for 
you know, putting your customer at the center of the story and trying to figure out where they are, you know, what the inciting incident is, where they're going? Like, what do you mean by, you know, how do you do that? Well, I think the story can take many forms. And, and for Congo, we have products that can be used across B2C, B2B, nonprofit, any industry, small business, all the way to enterprise. That is both a wonderful and challenging thing to have to solve for because it allows us to market to, to anyone, but it means we also have to be more targeted. So really the story can take, can take many shapes, whether it's an industry focus or a persona focus, that, that's one way, but it has to start with what does the company stand for? And so to me, that begins with the company core values, the culture of the company. I always say that the brand is not owned by the company or marketing, although we are stewards of it. The brand is owned by the employees. And so really understanding what everyone is bought into at a company, it should start there. And from that, you can start crafting the message with what is sales here when they're talking to customers? Or what are, what are the sales dev team here when they're trying to convert a prospect into a customer? What is the product vision? What does the roadmap look like? What are they here when they're implementing? Things like that to bring the, the value of our story more alive. And then it's also about testing. So we recently went through a whole new messaging exercise that resulted in um, new messaging across the company, taglines, and so on. And we didn't do that until we got feedback from customers and our partners. So the, the value of a focus group when you're thinking about the story you're telling is really invaluable because as marketers, we often invent things. That's, that's kind of the fun part of marketing is you make something up to see if it works. But if you don't have data or feedback to refine it, then you never know if it's going to work. And messaging or storytelling um, can be hit or miss. So it's really important to not only work across the company for their input, but then to also get the feedback externally. Yeah. How do you measure that? How do you know if a story is, is resonating? Um, we try to get a lot of feedback from our frontline teams, whether that's customer success, the partner organization, certainly the sales team, but also our sales dev team, which is on the phone all day, um, talking to future customers and listening to what they need. So if the feedback we hear directly from a prospect or a customer differs from what we're saying in market, that's, a, that's an immediate red flag. And so that has to be done in harmony. Like it's real time. And I, and I love working with a sales dev team because they are kind of our frontline focus group. They get the real time feedback from real human beings day in and day out. So I think it's important to be closely aligned to them and then a lot of it then comes to the campaigns you're running and maybe testing and ensuring that you're actually driving the performance you anticipated. If that's off, it's either a design or a messaging issue, but those usually go hand in hand. When you're creating a story, do you use a framework? Like how do you involve your team members in crafting that? Do you have product marketing plus, uh, you know, plus your brand marketers plus, you know, demand gen? How do you craft that? You know, I've learned it as a marketer that you have to be collaborative and, and marketing should be an open, transparent book. Anyone that's worked in marketing that is listening will know that no matter what, you're always going to get opinions and feedback. And often most people think they can run marketing. 
So I learned on very quickly that it would be smarter and save more time and create a better end if you're totally open and collaborative from the beginning, as opposed to trying to do it by yourself and just pushing it through. So in regards to messaging and storytelling, that always has to be a collaborative project because you need people to feel like they are invested and have buy-in. So if you're not aligned with the sales team, certainly product and product marketing, but also corporate development or the strategy arm of the company, like all of those people need to feel like they have had a voice in the story because you want them to tell that story for you as well. And so it has to be collaborative in order to get the, the overall company buy-in. But on the flip side, we also work with really smart people. So why wouldn't would you want their input? It's just going to make the story even better. So th that's the approach on the collaborative side. There's frameworks that we use. We, we tend to, to follow a messaging house structure where we go through a very thoughtful process of how we think about things, how we describe things that all fuel the story or the message. Uh, but even that is done in a highly collaborative manner. Speaking of stories, um, I'd love to hear some from you. Uh, so early in your uh, career, you had the pleasure of doing a couple rebrands um, in and around a lot of products marketers know and love. Uh, so I'm curious, take me back to, uh, to the days when you're sitting at Exact Target and, uh, and kind of the, the, the next following uh, 20 months. Yeah, that's such a, that was my first software job. And technically was my first uh, marketing job because historically um, earlier this in this century, digital teams sat in IT. So that transformed. That's when I, I had my first marketing job uh, running digital for exact target. And I had a really good view into how the company was growing. Uh, so before they went public, they transitioned from one to four products, which required, um, I wouldn't say a full rebrand, but certainly a visual and messaging refresh to expand. After they went public, we went from uh, four products to seven product sets, which required a similar exercise. And then we got acquired by Salesforce. So I do believe we went through three or four rebrands as the companies were going together and trying to determine the final name. Now it's known as Marketing Cloud, but it went through various variations as that was, a, was evolving. And the branding side of marketing is something I'm really passionate about. It's a often underinvested area of marketing, especially on the B2B side. So to be, um, to have a seat at the table with that many um, hours put into how we rethink a brand or a story and really help shaping what Salesforce was going to do with the marketing cloud was fascinating. Although I would not recommend three or four rebrands in 18 months. That's a recipe for a lot of gray hair. Yeah, indeed. Um, and I want to get into some of those lessons because obviously everyone knows that Salesforce is the awesome sponsor of the show, which by the way, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Um, but, you know, I mean, it it is funny though, looking back over the years at how the MarTech landscape was so fast uh, to adapt and evolve and change and all that stuff. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, you'd need to change a lot constantly, but then you look at products like Pardot, um, where, you know, they kept that name. And, and I believe when we, we when we talked to Adam Blitzer about it, that they're still grandfathered customers in from that he sold to, um, 
you know, back in the day sitting in Atlanta. So yep. it's, it's funny how, you know, a brand can resonate for so long and be so important. Um, and then there's kind of time for change. So I'd love to get Daniel's kind of tips, uh, for, uh, for rebrand. What, what went into those decisions and, and what would you maybe do differently? Well, rebrands are a lot of work. And so tip number one is don't under underestimate the resources needed and time to do it properly. I've been involved in them where it's gone really well, and I've been involved where it's not. And uh, the lesson there is that you just don't underestimate those. The thing that I also want to stress is that a brand or a rebrand is so much more than a name or, or how it looks. You know, and I think it goes back to what I was saying about the, the importance of storytelling. It's got to stand for something that is based in authenticity. And so I, I think your example of Pardot is a really good one because they have such a loyal fan base. And I think that came through as people talk to more of their customers and certainly the employees on that side. You've got to listen to what people are saying. And often something that is not measured is what are the customers saying about the brand? What are their feelings, whether that's brand awareness or brand sentiment? That has to be a factor in how you decide. You can work with an agency that is going to help you visually and all of that stuff. But if you are not really thinking about how the story ties to the brand, how it thinks about the customers, then you're going to make some really big mistakes because you're overlooking some of the most important things. Yeah. What do you think those like those important things are, right? Like, what do you think that those things like the non-negotiables, the things that, um, you know, you really need to look at? I remember... There's a great story of Reed Hoffman talking about LinkedIn where they had the like LinkedIn open networkers, like their lions, which are like their most avid, you know, LinkedIn people. And they wanted a bunch of different stuff and they never built those, those features for them because the vast majority of people who weren't like this, the super users, like wouldn't really want, you know, a bunch of the stuff that they wanted as kind of like that, you know, both sides of the same coin where like you need to you need to build where you're going, not just where you are sort of a thing. So I'm curious, like, what do you think some of those, those non-negotiables are when you're doing a rebrand? Okay, I think the company, the company leadership, the, everyone that works at a company has to wear the brand on their sleeve. And so if, if we look at what Salesforce has done with their brand, they're one of the biggest company and most successful companies in the world. But when you really look at them, it comes down to community. And so what they've done on the trailblazer side is really, really impressive. They have helped enable millions of people outside of the company to become brand ambassadors. And at Conga, we've done something on a, on a much smaller scale where we refer to our employees and, and even customers as Conganeers, right? And so that has happened not because the CMO wrote it down. You know, it wasn't listed in our brand guidelines, which we have brand guidelines. This is something that happened organically because the employees cared so much about their own company, the values, what the company stood for, what the brand stood for, that they took that into action. And again, that comes back to five-star experience, white glove treatment of how you represent the company and how you make sure that every interaction is reflecting all of those things. And that's not something you can put in a, in a brand strategy or a brand guideline. It's something that has to be lived you need to wear your brand on the sleeve or you have to operate in a truly authentic manner 
those are things that I think are the most important parts of a brand and a company that are overlooked or undervalued. And that's why I say a brand is not owned by the company. It's, it's owned by the employees. Yeah. We, we've talked a lot on the show recently about how, you know, customer experience is the new brand, right? How your customers actually use and talk about your, uh, your product is what your brand is ultimately. And, uh, and if your messaging doesn't match that, then you actually exacerbate things. Absolutely. Real quick on, on the customer side, we, we've talked about branding and storytelling and messaging so far. And recently, early this year, when we, when Congo went through that same exercise around messaging and storytelling, I took our, what I thought was our finished draft of all of that and presented it to some of our, a set of our select customers for feedback. And I pitched the whole thing and their feedback helped take it from something I thought was really good to something even better. So that again is the importance of listening to customers and also figuring out how to set up focus groups so that you're getting real live feedback on things. Can't do it in a vacuum. Were there any challenges or or like run-ins or uh, scuffles as you were doing the rebrand where there was something that, you know, maybe a senior leader or somebody, you know, believed to be true that you didn't think was necessarily true or or something like that? Yeah, I mean that that happens in some <laughs> on some scale daily. Like any marketer knows that um, at times marketing can be subjective. It can come down to someone's preference, and so that that happens all the time. And certainly, if if you're talking about a rebrand or certainly a major change in messaging, then you can't do that by yourself. You're going to have to get the CEO's blessing. You're going to certainly have to get the buy-in from senior leadership and everything I just described in the exercise Congo went through earlier this year. Like I remember being in a room with 10 of our most senior people where, you know, I pitched it. I knew that most of the people in the room were really in favor of it. And I also knew some people in the room weren't. And I said, ultimately, look, if you expect me to come up with messaging and a direction that is going to be universally loved by 10 people, it's never going to happen. So if I have seven or eight that really like it, I'm going to move forward. And so you just have to sometimes stand up for what you think is best for the company, knowing that if it's not, then it's on you. But ultimately, if you've really been collaborative and gotten feedback, then it's going to be in your favor. And I think you, as a marketer, certainly as a head of marketing, you have to advocate and push for what you believe in for the better of the company. And sometimes that means being direct and telling people that, hey, I really appreciate your feedback, but I'm going to decide to go with what I think is best. One of the problems that marketers face is outkicking the coverage, you know, getting f too far ahead of the product, um, you know, selling the, uh, the future state and not the right now. I'm curious, how do you balance that at, at a company like Conga? You know, I was fortunate to spend about a year and a half at Salesforce. They're some of the best marketers I've ever seen. And I really admire their ability to think not just a few months into the future, but, but several years. I think it's critical that companies talk about a vision. I think it's critical that um, certainly on the B2B side, that you present something that is going to be exciting and can inspire people. Because ultimately, we are trying to work with 
our counterparts at other companies to make sure they look like heroes and that they can drive their own digital transformation. I think part of that is selling a vision and a future that is aligned across an executive team that sales believes in, certainly the product side believes in, but also marketing should take that and craft into a story that's going to inspire people. So I think it's, I think it's okay to, to market a couple of years out because that's ultimately where we're trying to go together. And so if you can't inspire someone beyond three months, then they're going to go to a company that can. And so I think it's honest to tell those stories in a way that um, is truthful, but also can excite and inspire them. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've ever done? And and I do want to say, you, we'll, we'll get into the Indianapolis Speedway stuff as well, because you've worked between the Indianapolis Museum of Art and uh, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You've done some seriously cool marketing challenges. So maybe maybe there's not just one campaign, but I'm curious, uh, maybe you could name a couple. Well, it's um, you, you kind of nudged me. I, I got to share some experiences from when I ran uh, digital and content at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar Series. For those listening, if you've heard of the Indy 500 that is run at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway every single May, except this year. And so that is that was a lot of fun because you could release content or send an email or tweet or promote a ticket sale. Whatever you did, you had millions of people that were that were frothing up the mouth to be a part of it. You know, that's very different from nonprofit or B2B. B2B, you have to work really hard to capture people's attention. But when you're talking about sports and entertainment, it's, it's fun. And, and you can release almost anything and just see instant results and gratification because you've produced a video and it's got a million views or something like that. It's just totally different. And so I got to work on all kinds of things from, um, I, I got to partner with Verizon Wireless to, to produce the first IndyCar app. I worked with Hot Wheels where they put on a complete real Hot Wheel track where they did a massive jump. Um, it was just totally different. So that, that was so much fun. But as I look back on my career, I think that B2B is still the most rewarding um, thing I've done in my career because in B2B, I've noticed that it, it tests you on a different stage. The stress is more, the, the risk and reward is more, and there's no hiding it. I mean, if you're good, you're going to be good. If you're not, there's no way to hide behind anything. And so for me, the, the various rebrands or website launches uh, or new messaging or big events or new pieces of content that I've helped be a part of on the B2B side is probably still the most rewarding uh, because it's a harder audience. We're trying to sell the really smart people that have to make the right choice. And if you don't get it right, like there's nothing you can do other than um, hopefully keep your job. But if you do get it right, then it's a really great feeling. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that's so fun about the business campaigns are that it's people's careers, right? Like people work, you know, so hard and spend so much of their time at work um, that to be able to provide something that helps them in their career is is really rewarding. And you see 
you get such good feedback from people when it does, you know, work great. I was listening uh, to a podcast uh, today where someone was talking about like, I couldn't imagine my, com- uh, the, you know, doing my job 10 years ago without this product, like this product. And they were just like glowing about this product. And they're like, I just couldn't imagine uh, uh, doing my job without it. Like that's such a cool feeling. And it's that kind of like, that's that the, the same, you don't have necessarily the sexiness of some of the, you know, CPG campaigns or, or, you know, some of the things like, uh, you can do at the Indy 500. Uh, a lot of times it's not someone's, you know, passion or it's their thing that they do on, you know, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, but it is the thing that they spend, uh, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week working on. So if you can, if you can create something great, then it, it really is rewarding. Totally agree. This is your uh, second stint here as a CMO, but really being, you know, head of marketing and uh, marketing leader for a long time. How have you viewed mentorship throughout your career? Are there any mentors uh, or people that you've relied on uh, in the past? Yeah, I have a, a long list of people that when I think back, you know, I would not be where I am today with without certain people stepping in at different stages in my career and helping or challenging or pushing me. And I think about that a lot. And now today as a, as a leader of a pretty big marketing team, I watch people trying to carve out their careers and become better marketers and have visions of leading their own teams. And so I, I've reached that stage of my career now where it's, it's come full circle that I feel so lucky that I had such key people during my career step in and guide me that I, I feel like it's my duty now to do that with my team, but also marketers outside of the company, I just wouldn't be here today without people helping me. And I want to help them because if I can become a CMO, so can they. Well, and I think, you know, having a non-linear path too, I I think, you know, some of the things that people feel really stuck when they're either in B2B or outside B2B or stuck in brand marketing or stuck in, you know, whatever it is, PR, that it's, you know, hard top around. And it's it's pretty clear that, you know, in your career, you've had a bunch of stops. Um, Have you like pattern matched across, you know, other people's careers or like, how did you, how did that kind of, uh, did you feel nervous, you know, jumping from one industry to the next? Yeah, it was really hard, especially, you know, I had spent uh, eight years in nonprofit and I wanted to to try for profit because, again, I, I like big challenges. I wanted to be tested at a in a faster paced environment and, and more risk. And it took me a couple of years to make that happen. It was really frustrating. And ever since then, I've really thought about, you know, in some ways I feel a little lucky that I was able to to transition. Um, but when I do talk to other marketers that let's say they, they are focused on PR, but they have aspirations of being a CMO, it's like, okay, how can I get them exposure onto the brand side or the digital or the events so that they can become more well-rounded because I don't think it should slow someone down. I think, you know, if you're adaptable and want to learn, then, you know, you can still thrive in a totally different thing. And, I've been lucky to go from nonprofit to sports and entertainment on the B2C side to, to B2B. And it's been really hard and challenging, but I've also learned a ton and I figured it out. And like I said, look, if I can become a CMO, so can they. So now it's about how do I help them get the, the knowledge or the experience so they can make their transition easier. 
Okay, let's get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce, who we've been talking about a bunch. Um, <laughs> but uh, we love them. And they've been here since episode one of this podcast. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn how Salesforce is bringing marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM. Check them out. We love them. You will too. Daniel, lightning round questions. Are you ready? I am ready, Ian. Number one, what thing have you picked up during your time in shelter in place? Gardening and composting. We got the compost bin too, my friend. We've been getting <laughs> after it. How about TV show that or, or series that you're binging? Um, I will say, having just gone through an acquisition, there's not been a whole lot of TV time. But before that ramped up, I am ashamed to say that I watched Love is Blind on Netflix. I'm not ashamed to say that I watched all of Tiger King. Um, but I've also been watching some, some of the Masterclass shows, and I'm watching The Gangster Gardener right now, which is awesome. What about a book or podcast that you've enjoyed recently? My go-to podcast is uh, How I Built This. I love those episodes on NPR. Yeah. And then I'm a huge soccer fan. So uh, there's one by a former English soccer player called That Peter Crouch Podcast. Uh, and it's uh, just a really fun distraction. Uh, and I love the sport, so I am fascinated. But that's kind of my guilty pleasure. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Push the ego aside. Any pieces of advice that you'd give to marketing leaders about dealing with times of crisis and moving through some, some tough times? Uh, my advice, and, and certainly in these times, is you have to move fast and you have to read the data and then pivot. You can't be inactive right now. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Uh, I wish I got asked uh, anything about marketing that does not involve pipeline. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Indeed. Such is, uh, such is the life of the B2B marketer. Yep. Well, you know, I didn't ask specifically about, about pipeline today, so maybe job well done by me, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not for uh, our audience. Well, you know, Daniel, this has been great. Next time we got to have you back and we'll talk about what it's like to, uh, to go through the acquisition merger and all that fun stuff. Um, any final thoughts, anything to plug? No, I, I want to thank you for, for having me and, and all of the great things you said about Salesforce. I would echo as well. I, I would love to hear from marketers on how they're coping with everything now, but also just in our space, it is, it's, it's a tough job. Uh, and I, I love the community when it comes together. So um, thank, thank you for having me and everyone listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and everyone can check out conga.com to learn more. Um, they're doing some real cool stuff. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.